but you are all very welcome this morning um, and thank you for taking the time to join us live. I know we have a, a, a more extended group then that that log in when it's it's a, a more suitable time for themselves. I know that the 10 a.m. slot doesn't suit everybody, but at any stage, we're delighted to have your company. Um, and you're very welcome for the very first webinar of 2022. We've had a, we had quite a successful run of webinars in 2021 due to Rosemary's dogged persistence. She's very good at making sure that we get the jobs done and we all show up and we have interesting things to present to you. So hopefully 2022 will be no different. We have a pretty uh, hefty schedule to get through. I hope to only keep you around 35 minutes or so, depending on, but we will play that one by ear. So hopefully there's some interesting information um, that we'll be able to share with you this uh, this morning. Those of you, I'm sure I see a lot of uh, names that, that have been with us through the, the webinars of 2021 and welcome to anybody new. Um, HCI, for those of you who, who may not know, is, is a, a professional service provider for resident safety, regulatory compliance and quality improvement, intelligence and support to health and social care organizations. So we're covering across a, a wide remit of health and so social care facilities from residential to disabilities into mental health services, um, et cetera. So we're utilizing our on the ground um, support um, and also in relation to supporting that model for uh, software services. Myself, I'm, uh, <clears throat> I should have introduced myself at the start. I'm going to give advice. So I'm the, the CTO, the Chief Technical Officer in, uh, in HCI. So primarily my focus within our department in best practice is ensuring that we're, can we uh, provide evidence-based best practice to all of our clients um, and ensure that we are as ahead of the curve as we can possibly be in relation to healthcare regulations and, and social care support services. So why particularly have we decided to look at the work that we've done today? Well, generally these, these sessions where we look at, um, where we look at, at, at the HICWA reports and summarize and trend and analyze the information that's coming through with them. They have been very successful over 2021 um, because I think there's incredibly valuable information that's there uh, that, that is really just waiting for us to, to, to pull down and, and assess and see what learnings that we can make in that regard. So I think it, hopefully there'll be some valuable information. And obviously I'm, I'm a great, great woman for the, the, the quotes at the very start of, of our slides, but we want to bring that knowledge to you so that, can, that you can utilize it as an opportunity to make a difference within your organization. I don't want to come with negativity at the very start. I know all of you are working incredibly hard and doing incredibly good work, but I suppose I, I was reading the Irish Times on, at the weekend and this was um, an article that came to my attention. And it just shows, I suppose, the problems that can still arise within organizations and a lot of problems and issues that residential care facilities are working with are foisted upon us, like, you know, the, 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 obviously with the struggle of COVID-19. But the, you know, this brings to the fore of uh, where our quality management systems, our structures, our governance, our training, you know, can fall apart. If, if they're not adequately supported. So in this case, uh, this was a 19-year-old uh, patient of a resident within um, a residential care facility. She was woken in the early morning and forced to have an enema against her will, which had not been prescribed for her. Um, the resident uh, 
was very upset and 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 obviously tried to 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 uh, to ensure that this didn't go ahead. So she had not gained consent. The the individual who provided it and administered the procedure, which had not been requested by prescription, it was also alleged that the nurse had failed to record the enema, properly consult a cardiac system, or and also failed to report the error in procedure. So. You know, a, a, a real tsunami of problems arising there, um, and and as I said, this is our job as as and 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 work for yourselves to do in relation to consideration. You know, how can failings like this occur, and how can we ensure that the appropriate controls are in place to prevent something like this happening? There are other incidents about facilities being unsuitable. And I know we're in a seriously challenging position in a number of facilities, and we'll talk about that a little bit later, but the, 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 the new regulations and requirements there, um, and obviously the, the continuing difficulties that you're facing in relation to COVID. So there are a number of challenges there. So what we're trying to do today, I suppose, is to bring to the fore some of those key areas that HICWA are looking at, as we call it, what's hot right now, what are they looking at um, and what can we do to try and address them um, as soon as possible? And, you know, bearing in mind that risk registers, the, those risk registers they have in relation to health and safety and your social, uh, your, your, your care provision risk registers and looking at the controls that are there and saying, could this happen within our facility and are our controls robust enough to ensure that they're prevented? The reports that we put together within the, the best practice department, I'm joined by Lisa, Lisa McGrain, who is very much involved in putting this together, uh, where we, we take quarterly bundles um, of inspection reports released by HICWA, and as I said, look at uh, the trends that are arising. So in relation to this, we have 20 randomly selected uh, inspection reports. This table is, there's a lot of information, but we'll, we'll thin it out later, but I suppose I just wanted to look uh, first of all, in relation to the two different dimensions and, and where there was significant falling down in those. So this is the, the, the capacity and capability section. And I think, first of all, just to bring your attention to the number of services inspected against this regulation. So of the 20 services, so that's uh, the fourth column in, of the 20 services, just interesting to have a look of those uh, that, that were inspected by the higher number. So we can see in staffing, 100% of those 20 were, in, uh, were reviewed, 19 of the 20 in training and, and staff development, 20%, quite uh, not surprisingly, in the governance and management, and again, 18 in the complaints. So we can see again in our trends in relation to what's being looked at the most frequently by HICWA. And why are they being looked at the most frequently? Well, generally because there's significant problems in the area. From this one, we can see governance and management really a very high rate of non-compliance, 70% of the services with, uh, of, that were inspected, that being all 20 of them, uh, deemed as non-compliant and 10% of those being in the high risk area. So that's certainly something we're going to look at. Records coming up, training and staff development, again, uh, higher numbers of non-conformance. If we look at the quality and safety, much higher areas of non-conformance in relation to that. Again, if we look at the number of services inspected, 20, 100% uh, of them, all 20, individual assessment and care planning, resident rights, all 20, 18 of the 20 in premises, 
20 of the 20 in infected control, not surprisingly. Fire precautions, 18 of the 20. So still a lot of focus in relation to it. And if we see, if we run along the side, we can see of those fire precautions, 78% of those of the 20 uh, has had uh, significant areas, uh, issues in relation to non-compliance, but 44% of them being in the high risk category. That's a really significant chunk uh, of, of those being inspected. And if we look at infection control, 45% uh, with, with uh, non-conformances and five of those being deemed as high risk. So again, continuing focus, we can see premises creeping up 44% with 11% of those in the high risk because there is additional focus going to be driving in through premises as we move forward. So let's have a look at those. Again, this is just kind of pulling them out. And these slides will be provided to you by Rosemary. She'll, she'll ensure that these are all circulated to you. But let's get into the nitty gritty, I suppose, and see what were the kind of areas that they were looking at in relation to these key problems. So those of you who know us won't be surprised to see that we're going to take a look at governance first, but rightly so, with 70% um, uh, of the 20 reviewed having non-conformances in this area and in the red risk area. And this is quite a broad statement, I suppose, at the start. It says the system of governance and management in place at the centre did not provide adequate oversight to ensure the effective delivery of safe, appropriate and consistent service. So we're going to look at some of the specifics, but I suppose generally that's a statement to say that the, the HICWA inspectors were certainly not getting as what we would call the warm, fuzzy feeling from the governance model. And as we know, it really has to come from the top down. And they obviously felt that the system was not robust enough in general throughout that quality management and safety, quality management and safety system, that it wasn't sufficiently robust to provide adequate oversight to ensure that effective delivery of safe, appropriate and, and, and a consistent service. So there were obviously problems throughout. They saw in particular regular on-site governance meetings that stopped during the pandemic and now have been replaced with regular calls between the person in charge and registered provider. So they did not deem that sufficient. And I suppose all of, uh, all of you have had to tweak the way that you provide your services and the governance models and maybe the meetings and all of those things that became incredibly difficult during COVID. And there were changes made in the interim to try and keep things going. We now have to take a stage that we have to roll back into that much more robust model um, of governance and meetings and communications and analyzing and trends. And, you know, we are moving into that stage that, that you know, it's, it's no longer acceptable, I suppose, from HICWA's perspective, that we have kind of a piecemeal effort. We have to now return to that much more robust approach that we had pre-pandemic. And as I said, I know that you're all still fighting battles. I'm not making little, little of that, but I suppose it's interesting to see the findings coming through. Another one, there was no clearly defined management structure with adequate supports in place to support the person in charge in the day-to-day -day management. And you know that um, implementation of designates has been, become critical, uh, particularly again within pandemic, where we it's no longer acceptable to have a one person show that that's really driving all of the processes. They're looking for those roles and responsibilities also to be supported by middle management and, 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 and bringing, I suppose, individuals up to be able to carry individual pieces that can support uh, the, the person in charge. So should that person uh, be removed, that there is a model to be able to support it and push its way up. 
Management systems to monitor the cleanliness of the residential centre was not effective, and we'll look at that in relation to uh, the specific regulation in relation to infection control. But again, the buck stops at management, and they're very much with the 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 incorporation of the IPC uh, or the the more focus, I suppose, on the infection prevention control standards for community settings. There is a significant governance model there that is now required for IPC, and if there is any problems or leakage in relation to that area, it's certainly the focus is on management to drive that model through. It's not going to be acceptable, you know, just for the, again, the structures that we had to put in place very quickly within pandemic, they're now looking for a much stronger governance model that's going to support that as we move forward. The registered provider did not demonstrate that staff practices are consistent with the interim public health guidelines. And, you know, that is, has been an incredible challenge. And we know that from ourselves in relation to our update of our policies and procedures, the continual changes in uh, the HSE, HPSC guidance and what's required to meet those. And that is a significant challenge uh, for organizations even now. Some of the, the, the slightly lesser being marked as, as non-compliant orange. The outcome of the post-COVID outbreak review was not made available to the PIC and the PSC was not made aware of any areas needing improvement from further outbreaks. Now, I think if we for all honest hand on heart, if we look back at our, our approaches throughout, there are always areas that we could say we could have done better on. But certainly it's a really important to get that post outbreak review completed, take the learnings, we'll look at the QIPs that can be raised from it and look at the increased uh, controls that we can put in place, both within our risk registers and our policies and procedures and whatever the case may be. So certainly the, the, there is a, a continuing request for that outbreak review to be done and effectively done. The registered provider did not identified risks and lacked expertise in key areas where high levels of risk were found on inspection, namely fire and infection control. So we've spoken about fire before. We had a webinar last year, which I'm sure is still available in relation to fire and, and the new requirements that are there. Certainly the requirement of that external consultant is critical. Um, uh, you know, we don't, it can't be expected that people within the services have all of the expertise that is required both for fire and infection control, and that we have a model that we can draw down on and we have the supports in place that we can work with is, is incredibly important. Management systems had failed to address uh, the inappropriate placement of a resident. And this is really going to be critical, particularly currently we saw with um, what has, has been exposed in relation to the disability services in Donegal, where um, there were significant concerns about placements of residents and, and the, the, the facility's ability to manage resident needs with uh, the structures that were in place. And I think we all need to be very considerate of that. That's a primary focus now, uh, and it won't just be in the disability sectors, looking at residential placement and uh, our ability and capacity to be able to manage their needs within their organization, ensuring that we have effective assessments at a, a, a upfront and on an ongoing basis and to make sure that they're appropriately placed. Other ones, the registered provider had no system in place for the review of incidents and accidents, uh, meaning that the cause and effects were not analyzed and acted upon. So not just responding to individual incidents, but also taking the time to trend, analyze, see drifts that were occurring, repetitive incidents, maybe that were a lower grade that are at a risk of becoming larger within the organization, something we probably didn't have time for, 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 for quite a, a significant period of time. But now again, looking for that more robust model that's going to drive continuous improvement, <clears throat> excuse me, within the organization. 
The residential centre had insufficient resources to provide a safe environment for residents and staff, including the residence centre did not have sufficient housekeeping uh, staff to clean to the required standards. There were shortages and inadequate supervision of staff and insufficient personnel to support activity provision for residents. So again, <clears throat> looking at those resources, looking at the needs of our organisation, ensuring that the match is there. In relation to audit, there was little evidence of ongoing auditing of the service in the quality of care experience. So again, in relation to auditing, we were in a tricky situation for the last while. In some degrees, our audit practice may have fallen by the wayside, but they're now looking for a much bigger ramp up on audit. And I think the next point is particularly interesting. There was a large suite of audits completed <clears throat> regularly by the management team, but they were not effective in identifying areas for improvement. For example, environmental audits, IPC, care planning audits achieved 100% scores internally, but had failed to pick up on any issues identified in the inspection. So the tick box exercise of audit that may have been sufficient to some degree previously is not cutting the mustard anymore. They're looking at those inspection control reports and saying, well, we found key problems. How is it you didn't find them? So that the effectiveness of those audits is critical, that it can't just be a, a, you know, a, a quick lick and have a quick look around. We have to ensure that those audits that we're completing are sufficiently effective and picking up an audit. And we would always say, find the problems before Hickory can find the problems for you. And there is a certain amount of respect and regard that you say, yes, we have a problem. We've identified it in our audits and we are now working to address those rather than hoping for the best that Hickory won't find them. And, and as I say, running the, NC, the car through the NCT and sort of so, uh, there's something wrong, we'll fix it later, that we need to be proactive in identifying the problem areas within our service. There was no infection control audits completed. There were inconsistency in audit records and results of audits were not in included as part of the, the quality improvement meeting minutes to ensure the service was effectively monitored. So key problems there in relation to audit practice. Fire precautions, we'll try and move through them reasonably quickly. We spent a lot of time previously talking about fire. Uh, inspectors were not assured that the staff had a strong knowledge of fire safety or what to do if fire broke out. For example, they were moving people in the wrong direction. So obviously there wasn't effective planning and drills. And you know, a, there's a significant bundle of work there in relation to fire safety and the documentation and training that's required to support it. Um, there was an inappropriate storage of residents' equipment, which was a fire hazard. For example, cords on hair dryers had tape on it, hot curling tongues. So a general... A kind of lax, lax attitude uh, to, to fire safety measures. And, you know, something like that should be picked up on an observational walk around that, you know, that is part of the requirements for our fire safety. There were no fire extinguishers or fire blankets in the smoking area, pretty basic requirements still not being achieved. And the fire extinguishers had not had the six monthly service that was due. They, you know, for a while again, it was difficult to have people in. Now we need to get those people on site and get the requirements done as, as needed. Additional uh, red risks, um, historical PPEs for residents were kept with more up-to-date peeps. So then that induced a risk that the, 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 the wrong peep might have been followed if they're in the event of a fire. The number of staff on duty 
uh, were yet to attend their annual fire safety training drills. So, you know, we need a collative, uh, comprehensive approach to our fire safety training. And inspectors are not assured the registered provider was effectively managing fire safety, even though the registered provider had engagement with the contractor. So ticking the box saying, yeah, we've got engagement with the contractor is one thing, but whether they're good enough, effective enough, and they actually have a knowledge of the requirements that relate to, to, to residential care facilities, is another thing. I mean, you know, I'm sure there are a number of fire safety contractors that have not seen the, the HICWA guidance and, and the requirements that is there. So it's really important that we that we engage with uh, individuals that are competent uh, in the particular requirements that, that are related to, to residents, uh, residential care homes. At the time of inspection, the registered provider had not provided adequate procedures for the evacuation of residents. Fire drills were not undertaken on a regular basis, nighttime fire drills not completed, and fire drill reports not sufficiently detailed to identify learning. So again, we have seen these before. We've seen, uh, you know, the, these, these are common requirements. So we know what they're looking for. And, and it's really important, as I said, that governance model for fire safety that we talked about in, in the fire safety webinar is addressed uh, robustly. Orange risk in fire, no evidence of full compartment evacuations. Staff never practice vertical evacuation drills from the first floor. Emergency evacuation floor plans um, identified escape routes, but they did not distinguish primary and secondary escape routes. Emergency floor plans were not clearly laid out. A huge amount here, really support required from a competent uh, expert in that area. IPC, I know you're tired listening to it, but let's have a look at the key areas recently that have been picked up. The RP uh, failed to ensure uh, IPC procedures were implemented. So the procedures were obviously good, but they weren't obviously being implemented. In one situation, one housekeeper was allocated to clean the entire center over six hours per day, seven days a week. And it was just not possible for one individual to be able to do something like that to the level that was required, quite obviously. The sluice room was located downstairs and equipment from upstairs had to be transported for decontamination, obviously introducing a risk for cross-contamination. And three bedrooms were accessed via dining room. And it was seen that a staff member taking a commode through the dining room, obviously not, uh, not ideal in that regard. Orange risk staff members were not wearing their face mask correctly. We're still there. We're still fighting the, the good fight in relation to appropriate PPE wearing. Staff were observed wearing wristwatches, hand jewelry, uh, so they not, could not perform hand hygiene. Staff using wearing uniform pants to and from work, and the RP could not present records that infrequently used water outlets were being flushed, and there was a, a potential dead leg in relation to it. So. In relation to the staff members in the PPE, again, daily observations, checks, supervision, review, rep repetition, ongoing training, all of those things that we need to, to consistently do, particularly for new members of staff coming in. And we have seen in a, a number of the, the reports where the staff coming in and kind of kicking off their, their work uh, day one without the appropriate induction training that is required in relation to it. So it's something to be mindful. Alcohol gel located at hand wash sinks it might be inappropriately used. Cleaners trolleys not having lockable storage, no cleaning schedule for a communal bathroom and no housekeeping procedures to guide staff. So again, pretty uh, basic things, gaps in deep cleaning records and decontamination procedures for shared uh, items such as hoist were not appropriate. So we've seen all of these before, 
but they're still coming to the fore. Now, premises I want to have just a quick chat to you about, and I'm sure you're all very aware of it. Um, but one of the red risks that came through here was about this current layout of the multi-occupancy rooms and that it was not going to achieve compliance with the new with the regulations SI 293 that are due to take effect on the 1st January 2022 and there was no clear plan to address it. Now I'm sure you're all aware but just for the sake of completeness I've just pulled out that section in relation to SI 293. So it details that on January from on and from the 1st of January 2022 a bedroom in the center which is carrying on the business since on or before July 2009 uh, it, from that date anyway, shall have an area of not less than 7.4 square meters of floor space uh, for each resident of that bedroom and no bedroom shall have more than four residents other than in a high dependency room, which shall not have more than six residents. So I'm sure you're all aware of it. We thought it was important to flag that up and that is now implemented from the 1st of January and they are implementing red risk findings in that regard. Other ones in relation to premises, some residents were unable to make choices relating to their environment due to opaque glass, which meant residents couldn't control light or noise. Communal space was limited, poorly decorated and not pleasant. Premises in a poor state of repair. And in the visitor's room, it wasn't well ventilated and there was a smell of damp and mold in storage rooms. <clears throat> Excuse me. Orange risk, tiles and grout were stained and impossible to clean with mold spots. Toilets did not have assisted handrails <clears throat> and there were steps to the front door and no ramp available to facilitate wheelchair users. <clears throat> staff changing facilities were not appropriate and staff did not have access to safe lockable facilities and commodes, dressing trolleys, scissors were unclean. Okay. So these are the type of things that are coming up uh, again and again in relation to premises. I have to say I was kind of surprised in relation to the residents' rights and particularly the findings uh, of 20% of those being not compliant of the 20 uh, reviewed. Red risks areas, residents in multi-occupancy rooms are seen to be sleeping without curtains pulled. A toilet door did not have a lock. Inspectors were informed that none of the doors in the toilets could be locked as it was a dementia unit. The interpreter was not provided uh, for a resident whose first language was not English, although they were assessed as needing that service prior to their admission. The layout of the day room did not provide uh, all residents with access to television or sufficient seating areas, and there were gaps in access to activities at the weekend. So, you know, there's been a big drive in relation to residents' rights, and, and we had HICWA that released um, their particular guidance on, on uh, human rights and the focus on that. So, again, a key area for rights. I mean, these aren't really significant findings in any great regard. Uh, you know, we, we would have seen these before, but it's just, again, that general focus on residents' rights and, and, the, and their focus on their care in that regard. Orange risks, residents unable to freely access some communal areas, residents' meetings did not have any follow-up documents or action plans to address requests or concerns, and when the residential centre was sort of staff, staff or were who are allocated to provide activities were often redeployed as care staff. And it's that kind of secondary approach as opposed to activities and well-being and, uh, uh, of residents where, oh, we, you know, we don't have enough staff, so we're going to just going to dump the activities. We're going to forget about that for now and we're going to provide services. And I suppose that's understandable, but I suppose they're looking for that prioritization of residents' rights and ensuring that we do have adequate staff 
to be able to ensure that activities are provided and, and supporting that the well-being um, and, and rights of residents. Uh, residents were observed to spend long periods without meaningful activities. Social activities were often focused on one-to-one -one interactions, and they felt that this was an institutional practice and posed a risk of residents experiencing isolation, denied opportunities to participate in meaningful socialization. And I suppose, again, with COVID, that is something that, that has been the only way that we, we could try and engage with residents, but they're really looking for us to move beyond that now and re-engage with, with those activities and group activities and socialization of our residents again um, in, in that regard. I was really surprised in relation to medicines and pharmaceutical, it was 10% of non-conformances, but there were only 10 of the services inspected in reviewed of the 20, which was I was kind of surprised about. Red risk areas, keys left the trolley, which was unattended and unlocked. Uh, resident picture identification was not present for four medication order sheets. The name of a medication was not identified on a drug order sheet, which had been given to a resident for over several weeks. Eight examples were seen when control drugs were not signed as being checked by two members of staff. Um, blood glucose monitoring machines not regularly calibrated, really time to review equipment and, and ensure that it's, it's up to spec. Oxygen cylinders not secure to prevent them from falling over. So they're kind of the key areas that had some of the significant findings in relation to red risks. <clears throat> some other areas of non-compliance, training and staff, we saw there 26% uh, of the 19 inspected having problems. PIC having insufficient oversight of mandatory training and supervision of staff and staff appraisals, again, not being completed. A lot of things, again, that could have slipped over the last period of time, they're looking for those, uh, those types of, of, of controls, I suppose, to be implemented and driving out training plans and, and re-engaging on that level. From records, 28% of the 14 inspected having issues, rosters not collect, correct on the day of inspection, no current PIC entered on the roster, staff included on the roster that were no longer in the residential center, specific activities incorrectly marked on the roster, uh, as being available on the wrong days. Some staff records didn't contain the required records that we all know that they are required to have, such as your qualifications, employment histories, and, and references and betting disclosures. Individual assessment and care plans, again, all of our services of the 20 selected were inspected and 25% of those had non-conformances. Individual assessments were not always completed for monthly. Some residents didn't have a care plan initiated within that 48 hours not always evidence that residents were involved in the care planning. And again, looking from the rights perspective and choice and, and informed choice in that regard, having them involved is, is a key part of that. Some care plans were very generic and did not contain person-centered information. And one resident who had high levels of cognitive and physical impairment and displayed high levels of responsible behaviors did not have an up-to-date comprehensive assessment of their physical psychological and social needs. And again, harping back to, to, to that, in, that, that, that issue in, in, in Donegal uh, in relation to the disability service, again, looking at those needs of the residents that we have with maybe some of the high dependency areas and, and, and really assessing the organization's ability to manage it. Certainly very important that we understand that the needs that are there and ensure that comprehensive assessment uh, is, is completed so that we can balance uh, our, our, uh, our responses and our interventions in that regard. 
managing behavior that's challenging again eight percent of the 13 assessed in that area some residents responsive behaviors were managed in a manner that was found to be overly restrictive and resulted in a restriction on other residents assessing communal areas and of course that is the balance between the two mechanical restraints such as keypad locks and doors were not evidenced uh, in the restrictive practice register and there was no protocol in place to monitor the use of that restriction now, there were some areas that came out as a clean bill of health within the 20 samples, directory of residence, insurance, notification of absence. I suppose not a whole lot of coverage there. Communication difficulties, end of life, though, did quite well. Now, only eight of the facilities of the 20 reviewed. But obviously, there is a, a progressive development in that regard, which I know there was a lot of work completed as part, I suppose, of the COVID response and information of residents. There was some resident feedback there again, and in general, you know, in Fairness Day, where they have the residents feedback, a lot of positive feedback coming back about gratitude to staff for all their hard work during the pandemic, delighted with the activities that are now available to them and that bringing that joy uh, back to their daily activities. Um, positive feedback as regard person centered and compassionate care that they received from staff. Obviously, again, uh, some other aspects of it. One residential centre undergoing renovation. Obviously, results of that residence found the noise level high and again, impact on their well-being in that regard. So it's really important that we're considered when we're doing our change management planning, should we be doing any renovations that we're considerate of the residents and their rights and, and, and their general well-being and how we can try and contain that and, and manage it as best we can. Some residents found the days long and boring and requested more days out at a recent residence meeting. So again, re-engaging them in the social aspects um, and, and community aspects. Hopefully that we're now in a position that we can re-engage with uh, depending on our position as, as we go forward. This is the party political broadcast. Rosemary makes me put these slides up. In relation to any of the areas that we've spoken about, uh, HCI provide a full range of policies and procedures, care plans, audit tools, as we'd say in this house, the devil and all, all of those sort of things. Um, a lot of work has we have done in, in, in best practice in relation to governance models, both for IPC, for fire safety, uh, you know, kind of those newer elements that are now looking to be heavily incorporated with, within the traditional governance model. Uh, we have done a lot of work in that regard and have built up um, a, an evidence-based um, database of, of information in that regard. So if you are interested in it or you're struggling in a particular regard, please uh, make contact with us. Rosemary, I'd be delighted to have a chat with you. And there is a coupon code, HCI Webinar 10, 10% of all documents purchased for the 28th of February. You don't even have to buy a cereal box. In this house, I'm tormented with buying cereal boxes so that they can have all of these coupon codes, but you can get them for just for this. So that brings us to the end of our webinar this morning. I hope it provided some value to you. Rosemary, are you having a look at some of the commentary or chats or are we okay on anything like that? Yeah, um, so one person just asked if we could get the slides afterwards, so we can circulate that and the recording of the webinar yeah. afterwards, so I'll do that. Um, and then there was another question there just in relation to if you have any tips on where to get staff. 
where to get staff. Well, isn't that the thing that the, the the problem the world over? Um, I said from 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 any service, and and unfortunately, I can't provide you any any good tips, uh, in that regard. And and, and I know the recruitment models differ across the board. Mm. Um, if I could, I'd be very rich though, wouldn't I? If I could, but it's it's there's no doubt about it. It's it's incredibly difficult, and it's not just any staff, as you all know that we that. That, that can be put in place in relation to residential services and it is a significant challenge there is no doubt about it um so unfortunately i can't but all i know is irrespective of who we hire the bar remains as high as ever in relation to the benchmarking um that hick we're looking for and the skills and competencies that are there you know that even makes it harder but unfortunately so I can offer you in that regard. But I would like to say thank you very much to everybody for taking the time. This will be this. Uh, the slides will be made available to you as uh, or no, the, the, the link to the webinar is made available to you um, for anybody uh, who's here with us today and anyone who has registered with us. So I'd like to say thank you very much. And I hope you found some value in it today. And we will be back again, Rosemary, in a few um yeah so about the 28th of april so about two months okay time. yeah we look forward to seeing you all there thank um, you very much anything just, oh sorry one more question me. sorry yeah. um so claire I was just wondering is fire extinguisher check every six months would you know that generally that's it, it can be dependent on the fire extinguisher type but generally it's every six months um but it's sh that should be detailed on on your um your Certificate, certification, certification that you would have received with the fire, the fire extinguishers generally, and it's labelled up on it. Normally, it says next calibration due, and it has the date put in on the label. Okay, folks, I hope you can weather the storms of Eunice and Dudley and whoever else comes to visit, and we'll see you in April, please God. Thanks, Una. Okay, thank you.